where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. I'm John. And I'm James. And today we're going to be talking about Season 7, Episode 6, named Norm, Is That You? And James, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's an interesting one. Of course, the title comes from Norman, Is That You? The film from 1976 about a black man who tries to change his son's homosexuality, which is relevant to the plot of the episode. Okay, well, you went deep in with some facts that I didn't know, so you've definitely done your research, James. Uh, This episode was released on the 8th of December, 1988, uh, and it was written by James Burroughs and Sherry and Bill Steinkilner. Should we kick off with the cold open then, James? Because uh, it's it's a quick, sharp cold open, which because of the shortness of the cold open, that lets us know we've got a meaty episode to go into. But it starts with Cliff and Carla having a bit of a conversation. Carla is angry at Eddie because he can't find something when taking the twins out for a walk. Cliff thinks it's his shoes. But of course it's not the shoes. The The thing that Eddie's lost is, is his own children, the twins. It was quite a tight little cold open. I thought it was quite funny. It's only, what, three, four lines? Yeah. Something like that. But it pays no no relevance to the rest of the episode, really. Absolutely none at all. Uh, don't Eddie's <laughs> not mentioned in the episode. Carl is barely in the episode. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an episode that has quite a lot going on. In fact, about three three plots, I'd say, which is, that's quite jam-packed for a, like a half-hour show, including adverts. So uh, should we kick off with uh, the first bit that gets introduced to us, which is after the opening credits, Rebecca enters Cheers. Where she bumps into someone, quite literally. Yeah, I think she thinks it's sort of a Mr. Right kind of character. She thinks it's a meet-cute. Yeah, <laughs> a meet-cube. Meet-cube. <laughs> <laughs> he seems nice. He seems, you know, quite pleasant until he until he steps in it, John, because he's a fool. Yeah, well, Re- Re- Rebecca's mood changes pretty swiftly because she she begins with sort of a quite a meet cute persona of being quite like flirtatious, uh, and then he makes the ill judgment of thinking that Rebecca is pregnant. I'm sorry. Are you okay? I'm just fine. But how nice of you to be so completely concerned. Well, you know, you can't be too careful these days. Yeah. So. Uh, When's your baby do? <laughs> I'm not pregnant. Oh. Well, then I really am sorry. Don't ask a stranger when her baby's due. It's just... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's not good practice. No. It didn't go cause... down well. He got very quickly sort of escorted out of cheers. He got called Buster. And she slammed the door on him pretty much. Yeah, which kicks off a strange plot which centres around Rebecca being self-conscious about her figure. She does something which I would say is in poor judgement, and she's just been mistakenly pregnant, and the person who she goes to ask if the outfit makes her look like she's put on any weight is Sam, who for the next like 20 minutes of the episode rejoices in the fact of winding her up about it. I think for most of the episode, it could have been okay. Not because they look pregnant or they could be perceived as pregnant, but because they are conscious about their weight and have no need to be. And you're, you know, trying to make them feel at ease because they have no need to be. Do you see what I'm saying? I think so. Making jokes about, not about someone, but with someone, both having the understanding of this is a, not an issue. This is not something you need to worry about. 
not something you need to be thinking about, you know? I think this episode deals with, in a few of the plots, deals with quite sensitive topics that, if ill-handled, could be uh, perceived quite badly. I'm not quite sure how they stand the, t- stand the test of time to someone who may be more offended by these, this episode. I think near the end of the episode, it does take a more sinister turn. I think something which I did find slightly funny about this whole scenario is Sam's quite enjoying winding up Rebecca uh, about her insecurities. Uh, she calls, she says, shut up, butthead. And Sam goes, she called me butthead. And Woody goes, don't worry, Sam. And he looks that way from the back, revealing his insecurities, which I thought was quite a sort of human thing to do. And it, it made him almost as vulnerable as she was feeling as well. Because then I'm pretty sure he went for his mirror straight away to try and check his hair. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's where the balance was between Sam and Rebecca, that they both had insecurities and they were both aware they had insecurities, but they were willing to joke about it. I don't think Sam ever considers Rebecca overweight, is what I'm saying. And I don't think he's making those jokes because he thinks she's overweight. I think he's making the jokes because she's insecure and he's trying to lighten uh, the situation until near the end of the episode, when he goes a bit more, when he goes too far. That's plot one set up, James. Plot two, straight after this exchange, Woody offers another beer to uh, Mr. P, obviously Norm himself. I think that's a new nickname for him. (laughs) Mr. P. (laughs) They call me Mr. P. (laughs) Uh, And this is where Norm reveals he's doing painting at Fraser and Lilith's house. And he starts off with good intentions. He says, I won't have another one. Uh, I've got to get back. I'm going to be a good, good painter. I'm going to be a good boy. <laughs> a dependable professional is what he says. Uh, and the kind of person he'd want working for him. And then Woody says, see ya, Mr. B. Norm quickly comes back, says that Woody's distracted him. He's going to be late anyway. He'll have another drink. Well, why not? Of course. Third plot doesn't kick off until later in the episode. So I think we could talk about this continuation with Norm. Yeah, because we uh, we visit the, the Crane's house again. It, the nest. Our favourite postal cues. They're not postal cues anymore. Technically they are. Uh, Mr. P's very uh, quietly painting in the background, and there's a new face who is uh, an interior decorator, James. And you could tell straight from the off that this person is an interior decorator because all the stereotypes are present. Everything about him is very much what you'd assume an interior decorator would be, particularly in that 80s yuppie landscape which they talk about throughout the episode. I mean, he kicks it off saying he's programmed himself to dream about their space the night before. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he's a very esteemed interior designer. All the magazines have been publishing about him. He's sort of a rave at the moment. Everyone's raving over him within that sort of, like you said, a a yuppie sort of landscape of people. I don't particularly like him because he seems pretentious, which I think is, you know, what the whole yuppie aspect is. And this episode, is it pro-yuppie or against yuppie? That's an interesting debate. But yeah, it's, yeah I think he's quite pretentious. And uh, I think Fraser and Lilith see through that pretentiousness as well. And he's got big ideas for their house. To begin with, we lose this wall. Uh, by lose, do you mean we redesign it so that it practically disappears? Or lose, we knock it down so that we're left facing the back of our stove? Mm. <laughs> Fret not. We'll be transforming Il Cucina into an atrium. I love this idea. I adore it. But what about eating? (laughs) 
I design, I don't eat. Now, over here, I imagine removing the ceiling and extending the wall up to the second story, culminating in a skylight to flood the room with natural illumination. But, uh, that's our, that's our bedroom up there. Is that all you people think about, eating and sleeping? On top of that, though, as well, he sort of also uh, shames them a bit for their own possessions and says, I hope that was a gift. And he puts their wedding picture in the bin. So Lilith and Fraser make make a pretty swift decision that they need to fire this guy. I'd fire him. Yeah. How would you do it? Because uh, how, how would you get rid of James? Because of his personality, I'd probably go a similar way to what Fraser does. Whereas if he was more laid back and things, I'd be more upfront. Fraser, not upfront at all. Fraser has a very sort of uh, delicate, appeasing kind of. He, he still wants to appease the guy. He doesn't want to create a scene. He says that they're not good enough for his interior design and offers him like a severance pay of six months in the end. Something crazy like that. I tell you what I would do, James. Even more cowardly than Fraser. Send an email. This is 1988. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about me now. <laughs> okay. Modern oh, yeah. technology has allowed people to come even more cowards within the, the landscape. Would you end it? Regards. No, you'd, you'd end it yours sinisterly. We know, we know how was, you sign emails. I'd mean it that time. <laughs> your sinisterly, John. <laughs> it's like your Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what I would do. Without the sinister, I would, I would do sincerely. I wouldn't make that typo again. <laughs> After this interior designer swiftly leaves their uh, building, Norm is still painting and he's starting to move furniture to make room to paint. And it's a bit of um, that sort of theme of the idiot savant that we've seen with Woody a few times, where he moves a piece of furniture across the room and Lilith's like, oh, he's created Genius. a walkway across the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he only moved it so he could get behind a cabinet to splash some paint. Originally, I thought it was going to be that sort of idiot savant kind of, he's just sort of moving things around and inadvertently placing them in what they're perceiving to be ideal locations that transform the room. Uh, but he does have a bit of a passion for this. Yeah, and well, it, it's a surprise, but I think it's... I think Norm's always been quite a laid-back, not man of the people, but he does have a passions, you know. Uh, painting was one of them. But I think because of the time, he's been complacent in being a... Uh, be your swilling corner dweller. I think it's that thing which is, uh, he's a very simple man, Normus, and he likes simple things. I think simple things come quite naturally to him, picking colour palettes, placing furniture, and he gets it. And uh, he very quickly transforms their room just by angling furniture in different ways. And they're sort of over the moon with it because they didn't want someone to come in and knock down walls. They just wanted someone to lay out the room. Move things around, maybe repaint. That's it. Hmm. Lilith and Fraser are sort of raving about it, and well, they they find some clients for Norm in the future. Yes, and this is where this is where the plot thickens, like you know, multiple layers <laughs> of paint. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize we were doing puns again this episode. I should have should have jotted some down. Always <laughs> doing puns. It's been a hundred over a hundred and sixty <laughs> episodes. Of course, we're doing puns. I'll have to put my my thinking hat on and come up with some puns. <laughs> 
I'm already on punstoppable.com. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, at this point, do we go back to the bar for plot number three? Yeah, plot number three is a very simple plot, isn't it? And it starts with... How does it begin, actually? Well, back in Cheers, the gang tries to comfort Rebecca as Woody gets a delivery of brownies and Sam goes, oh, moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, which, again, those words in itself, I've said them when taking a brownie, but in an ironic fashion, because it's like I'm going, oh, I'm treating myself, you know? <laughs> then Cliff goes off on one about the voluptuous figures of old, uh, particularly in Renaissance art. Rebecca, I don't know why you're so uh, concerned about your figure. You know, back in the Renaissance time, uh, full-figured women were revered. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Artists would only paint uh, big, voluptuous women. In fact, that's how they got rid of a lot of their old paint. There's, there is a, a sort of step too far, because I think he starts to make Rebecca feel better. Then he says, like, the painters used to paint voluptuous women to get rid of their old paint, and that's where he sort of... He went too far. He stopped a sentence ahead. Compliment. Went too far. And that's where uh, the sort of third plot comes up is Carla, uh, not her wittiest line, but says, what, what weighs more, a pound of Cliff's brain or a pound of feathers, I believe? Flies? Dead flies, I think it is. Dead flies, yeah. I, was went, I went too soft there. <laughs> Dead flies. Woody, oh, he gets it straight away. He goes, pound's a pound. They weigh the same. You think you tricked me, Carla? No, no. <laughs> And then we get these lovely sort of Carla asking Woody all these questions about Cliff's brain. Half of Cliff's brain gets on a train and goes west and it all goes east. Have you seen the, the office, US office? Parts of it. Do you know Kevin, the accountant? Kevin Malone, big guy. Yeah. They're asking him like mathematical questions and like really complicated ones, but he can't get them unless it's framed within the idea of pies. Yes, I, ha I do know this clip. <laughs> and then he can get them like lightning fast. I feel like Woody's got the same thing, but with uh, Cliff's brain. That, what, that's what I feel is being set up within this. Woody likes things abstract, doesn't he? He's more of an abstract man. Once he can like uh, visualize it, that's when he can click it. So that's the whole third plot is then just asking riddles, but with Cliff's brain as the subject. <laughs> and I don't think it really comes, it comes back and forth, but it doesn't really develop into much. No, and we only hear the answer once, and it reminds me of this, have you seen The Breakfast Club? Yeah. You know the part where Bender's climbing through the vents, right? Judd Nelson made up the joke that uh, Bender's telling there, uh, and as a result, the punchline doesn't make sense. The punchline is something like, I forgot my pencil, but it, <laughs> it has no relevance to the joke. And it's the same kind of thing of, here's a joke which doesn't have a punchline. Or why is a raven like a writing desk? I don't know. Yeah, no, neither do I. I think, I think it's something like it's never <laughs> written backwards. Hang on. Because it can produce a few notes, though they are very flat, and it is never put with the wrong end in front. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> can, we, can we put some cricket sound effects in? I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 a pun. It's a wordplay. It's quite it's quite clever. Yeah. Maybe maybe you had to had to see it written down. That could be it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've talked about more about this third plot than there was actually screen time of it. <laughs> quite possibly. But yeah, if you like riddles, ooh, riddle me this, Carla. <laughs> 
I think you'd get a swift kick out of cheers. <laughs> I, I immediately regretted saying that. <laughs> should we should we head back into the the main main part? Fraser and Lilith uh, come into Cheers and talk quite openly to Norm about the interior decoration job that he's done. He shuts them down quick. Oh yeah, he's like, what are you, crazy? I don't interior decorate. I splash some paint on the walls because I'm a pub man. He, he says they could eat into his reputation as a lazy beer guzzling lump of mashed potatoes. Which sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and he also says that he's been trying to cover up the fact he has a great sense of colour and he always knows where to stick the ottoman. They're trying to encourage him to pursue this as a career. Norm doesn't want to be part of that yuppie culture, but something does does attract him to it, and that's a five-figure payout. Ooh. Yeah, and he's 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 in business there. That that's caught his eye. Because I think at this point he's still sort of between painting jobs, really. He's very freelance, isn't he? Yeah, so this this I think this is a good opportunity for him. He hears about the figure and he agrees to meet Frasier and Lilith's friends who uh, are looking for an interior designer. And they agree to meet at the apartment, which is a lovely maroon. Would you call it maroon? I call it maroon. Yeah, he's, he's, he's redecorated and he's brought out the warmer tones. of the. You know, the you know what it is? It's burgundy because it's classy. See? <laughs> <laughs> and this is where uh, we meet the, the couple because uh, after a bit of a back and forth between... Uh, Fraser and Lilith, the couple arrive, the uh, Coopermans. Lilith and Fraser say this themselves. They are the epitome of, of yuppiehood or yuppiedom. Very, yeah, very yuppie. What I got from when Robert Cooperman spoke, he spoke in a same way or a similar way to the bankers from American Psycho. Just <laughs> kind of, uh, Fraser, let me see your card. What's that font you've got there? You know, it's, it's, oh, it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. Norm isn't particularly prepared for this, I would say. Uh, they, they sit down and they're, they're about to be introduced to their interior designer. They love the, the room. They love the colours on the wall. They love the layout of the room. They love his work. But Norm comes out and doesn't give the best first impression of someone you would want to redecorate your house. He comes in, cracks open a beer. He offers to share the beer. He says, oh, I've got the last cold one. I want to split it. <laughs> Which I would have thought was an icebreaker. I would have refused, but it's a nice icebreaker. <laughs> the thing is, there's nothing wrong with his approach. He's just being him. The thing is, Lilith and Fraser really appreciated Norm just being uh, himself, down to earth, and not pretentious. They, they got rid of the pretentious guy. But uh, these, these yuppies, the Coopermans, they're looking for a designer an interior designer. And it starts to unfold into this sort of preconceptions of who should uh, design a, a room, really. Who should have what occupations? And Fraser has a very good quote about that. Norm's talking with his mouth full. Uh, he's, he's scuffing on, on pâté. And he's uh, he's got designs that he's drew out on bar napkins. That's what I'd be disturbed by. I'd be disturbed by designs on cocktail napkins because there's not much there's not much real estate on a cocktail napkin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he talked previously about wanting to be a professional, you know, and wanted to give a good professional. But he's not really brought that to this this job. Eating and having the last beer, fine. He could be very hungry. He could be thirsty. I don't really mind presenting your plans on cocktail napkins. That's, yeah, no, I prefer at least a notepad, you know. <laughs> Fraser pulls Norm to the side. He says a bit of a quote that you were talking about earlier. What's going on? I'm dying over here. 
Well, it's not you, Norm. It's them. Huh? They're narrow-minded, trend-sucking dilettantes who insist that, <laughs> that their chefs be French, you know, that their mechanics be German, and that their designers be... stylish. <laughs> you mean stylish. Very stylish. And it's an interesting quote because it addresses, I think, what a lot of people commonly associate with quality in various professions. But as this exchange addresses, and because of Norm's success in decorating their room, these assumptions are often oversimplistic. Hmm. You know, France is known for its, uh, its, its cooking, but that doesn't mean that every French person is a good chef. One thing which is present in what his quote was, was he, he calls the Coopermans narrow-minded and trend-sucking. And it is that kind of mentality. And I suppose this is where we're getting... I think this is an area which Cheers hasn't really touched on since The Boys in the Bar, really. Yes. Not in this degree. And that's obviously uh, the the portrayal of homosexuality and they expect their interior designer to be gay. Yeah, they use the word stylish, but we know what they mean. Norman initially says, enough said, Frege, and he looks like he's going to sort of call off the deal. And it's where his his morals come into play about how he perceives he should act within this scenario, I guess. And he tries to put on a bit of a performance for them, I guess. Yeah, and again, it's one which, and credit goes to George Went here, where it could have been... It could have been controversial. It could have been offensive. But George Wentz never makes fun of, of gay people. He, you could tell he's uncomfortable in pretending to be something he isn't. But he never becomes a caricature. I was about to say that as well. He doesn't stereotype. And I got pretty nervous initially when the, it was sort of being set up because I thought Norm was going to do, uh, and George Wentz was going to do a sort of over-the-top stereotyped impression similar to Danny DeVito's Ongo Gablogian, his art critic, Andy oh, Warhol, the, yeah, with, with, with the big wig, yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was going to go that kind of really over-the-top route. And I, I have to say, I think it was played well that it was sort of understated and more nuanced. He did, uh, like, sort of paraphrase the previous designer's shtick about, I programmed myself to... Uh, to, to dream about your space. But he didn't do it with any enthusiasm. <laughs> I, d- I think he, it does balance that line of it doesn't fall into a stereotype. It nods to how Norm observed the interior decorator earlier in the episode. He never seems to exhibit gay archetypes. What he's doing is exhibiting archetypes of the interior decorator we saw earlier. I think this is something which Cheers does quite well, is when they do take on these subjects they never make uh, the subject the joke if that makes sense and i don't think they uh, cheapen the writing to to just make fun of that do you know what i mean i think it's done in a way that is still all right yeah and same thing with the boys in the bar the joke was never at the expense of homosexuals it was criticizing the intolerance thereof He puts on this show of an interior designer and he never actually explicitly says he is gay. They presume it and they try to set him up with someone later on. But he he talks them through how he's programmed himself to think about their space and he sort of doesn't start eating all the food. He doesn't crack open another beer, mainly because he had the last one already, James. (laughs) Uh, And they become very at ease with him being their interior designer and he gets the work. They do a stereotype flip, James. 
before we move forward with this part of uh, the episode, should we should we wrap up some of the other B plots, the B and C plot? Yeah, let's wrap up the Cliff's brain. What happens? And it does, the ending of it does tie into the one about Rebecca's weight, where mm. she's looking for the scales. Woody finds them under the bar because they wanted to weigh Cliff's brain. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I think Sam went too far because Rebecca's lost some weight. We're, we're told this. We don't necessarily notice it because they filmed this all in one <laughs> in one day. But um, what we are told is that she's lost weight because Woody notices it and is concerned, which is sweet. Yeah, Woody's, Woody's full of, uh, I'd say, compliments. Yeah. <laughs> she takes them as compliments. Maybe we'll play a clip of some of uh, Woody complimenting Rebecca. Hey, Sal, I don't mean to insult you, but you're looking kind of puny. Have you lost weight? Is this a setup? <laughs> Did Sam tell you to say that? No, ma'am, I told myself to say it. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried about you. You know, if you're not careful, you're going to start wasting away, and pretty soon your ribs will start to show, like this guy back in Hanover, Kyle Lefferts. Of course, he'd been dead a while when they found him. <laughs> Thank you, Woody. That's the nicest thing anyone said to me all week. Your hair's been looking kind of ratty. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the second nicest thing. But yeah, from, from his words, uh, he's highlighted that uh, she's losing weight and she asks him for the scale because uh, they've been using it to weigh Cliff's brain. <laughs> he gives her the scale. She puts it on the floor. And I was like, okay. Um, then this is where I think Sam went too far. He came in and put his foot on the scale uh, as she was weighing herself. And i that's when I think Sam went too far. Because at that point, it's not vocally trying to disparage her insecurities by you know using humor to diffuse a tense situation. At that point, he's making the insecurities worse. Mm. Puts all of his weight on it. It's a digital scale. I don't know why I said it like that. As if I'm like... They had digital scales. <laughs> it's, a, it's a speaking scale is the more prevalent thing. It reads out the, the way and uh, Rebecca instantly knows it's wrong uh, and sees Sam running off into the bathroom, which leads to one of my favourite jokes of this episode, James. And I'll let you do the honours of explaining it. Sam's ran into the bathroom. Rebecca chases him. She doesn't want to go into the guy's bathroom. She knocks and she goes, I know what you did. Al comes out and goes, congratulations. <laughs> Brilliant piece of... I, 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 it's, they just position Al in the best scenarios, I think. Yeah. As soon as you saw Al, you're going, what's he going to say? <laughs> Shall we talk about the cast before we catch up with the Coopermans? Yeah, that sounds a good idea. We've, of course, got B.B. Neweth as Dr. Lilith Sternen. Jane Sibbett as Kim Cooperman. She also appeared in The Fall Guy, Santa Barbara, 21 Jump Street, The Famous Teddy Z, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Quantum Leap, It Takes Two, Touched by an Angel, The Nanny, Friends. That's a notable one because she ironically played lesbian character Carol Willick. She also appeared in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Ally McBeal, and many more. George Deloy as Robert Cooperman. He also appeared in BJ and the Bear, Heart to Heart, 9 to 5, St. Elsewhere, Hunter, Night Court, LA Law, Jag, Home Improvement, Walker, Texas Ranger, Days of Our Lives, and many more. BJ Turner as Ivan, or Ivan. 
He also appeared in The Fall Guy, The Facts of Life, Night Court, Night Angel, Riders in the Sky, Santa Barbara, and many others. This was the interior decorator. Craig Branham as Todd. He has had acting roles in Dallas, Murder, She Wrote, Sleepy Hollow, Rush Hour, and others, but is known for his stunt work in Joe Dirt, Hulk, The Bold and the Beautiful, Deadwood, True Girl, True Blood, Django Unchained, Gangster Squad, The Lone Ranger, Dawn of Justice, The Magnificent Seven, Westworld, and many others. This Todd is the one who bumps into Rebecca at the start of the episode. Oh, of course. I, I, I couldn't place who he was, but he had a character name and it wasn't his own. So I was like, he couldn't have been a patron at the bar. <laughs> so that's good for placing that because I was, I was a bit lost for a second there. Al Rosen as Al and Philip Pullman is uncredited as Phil. Interestingly, about Jane Sibbert, her and Kirstie Alley would appear as romantic rivals in It Takes Two which was released in 1995, so shortly after the run of Cheers. That is interesting. She was definitely a face that I recognised, obviously, from Friends. But like you say, an interesting casting, obviously, Friends was probably about five years later, I want to say. Uh, six. Friends started in 94. Speaking of uh, the Coopermans and uh, Jane Sibbett and George, they, they enter Cheers. They do. And uh, she's like, I've never been in a gay bar before. And you want to tell you something? She still hasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. There were there, there were no ferns from from what I could see. Ferns, Sammy. I'm talking ferns. <laughs> <laughs> but they come in and uh, they approach Norm. Norm's confused how they tracked him down. He shouldn't have gave them napkins. Yeah, you gave them the napkins with the address on and everything, Norm. <laughs> and he quickly takes them to a table in the far corner, really, to try and get them out of the way and hide the fact he is an interior designer. Yeah. Carla immediately senses something is off because Norm orders a beer spitzer. She goes, what are you diluting your beers for, Norm? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I didn't say it. One, one great piece, and this is how the, the stories start to intertwine, even if it's loosely, is uh, when she does say, I've never been in a gay bar before, uh, they look over and see uh, Woody <laughs> kind of massaging Cliff's brain as uh, John Ratzenberg is sort of pulling a sort of relaxed... Yeah. <laughs> look upwards with closed eyes. <laughs> and that's where Robert goes, honey, look at those two. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you said, uh, Carla, Carla sees that something's up when Norm's uh, going to the bar to order the drinks himself. He gets spritzes on his return back. He's speaking French. Pretty sure? Yes, but uh, not fluently. Not to a Diane or Fraser level. Spritzes a trois. Which, which means... Three spritzes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's it's not the most complicated of French, but uh, there you well, go. Um, I, I, we haven't seen Norm speaking French to date, <laughs> um, but he's very much putting on a bit of a persona. Yeah. And he's trying to balance two personas, really. His persona of being lazy mashed potato <laughs> and also... Uh, <laughs> it's that Mr. Potato's first name, lazy mashed. <laughs> <laughs> lazy mashed potato yeah but they've got more work for him and they'd like him to do uh redecorate their mountain retreat next which includes sort of a holiday there they've sort of grown to be uh friends with him in in some way i mean you'd have to be to sort of invite someone essentially on holiday with you but they go and you could come with this friend of ours he's real cute and i was like sorry what yeah they're they're, they're keen to set him up uh so norm the intellectual man he is uh Thinks, thinks on his feet and says, oh, I'm in a relationship with that guy over there. He points to the worst person in the bar because not only are they the most attractive, so the most sought after, 
but also the one who goes out of their way to flirt with every woman. <laughs> I think there's another thing that stacks against that sort of decision is he's the most recognisable and local celebrity. Yeah, just p- and it- <laughs> point, point at Al or someone. Because, yeah, he's a bit old for me, but, you know, the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> and immediately they go, is that Sam Malone in the picture? Didn't he used to play for the Red Sox? So Norm's essentially outed, in their eyes, he's outed Sam. D- didn't didn't that guy have a press conference here for a former baseball friend of his who was gay, but <laughs> Sam wasn't gay? Didn't that happen? Wasn't that a thing? But they, they ask to see Sam and they, uh, they say, oh, well, Sam could come over to the, the retreat and... Uh, it could be like a double date kind of thing. Norm, uh, thinking hard on his feet again, goes over, pulls Sam to the side, asks him, ah, oh, my clients are big fans. Would you meet them? I uh, mean a lot. As they're walking over, he goes, by the way, we're a couple. We're, we're lovers. <laughs> we're lovers, yeah. <laughs> Which sets up uh, an uncomfortable scenario for Sam, really. Yeah, Sam says very little in this exchange. He he, he stands there. My favourite exchange is when uh, they go, Sam, we have a confession. We came here because we wanted to set Norm up with someone else. And Norm goes, naughty, naughty. And Sam and nudges Sam and Sam goes, naughty, naughty. And no emotion. <laughs> <laughs> Sam does have a, a, a bit of a sort of breakdown. Uh, and after an uncomfortable conversation they ask him if if the retreat would be good for that good for him and he says what do you mean good for me it stinks for me uh and then sort of leaves the conversation goes i love babes babes love me babes babes runs away from the conversation really well what norm could have done there quite easily is just go babes was an ex of his who's back in town well he 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 does say babes is his pet word for linebackers Ooh. (laughs) Uh, but after that Jane Sibbett Kim Cooperman uh, says she's very perceptive and she can see something's not right and Norm confesses him and Sam have had a falling out and she goes I knew it (laughs) (laughs) and then they try to set set him up with their friend again yeah that's where he sets the record straight and uh, tells them that he isn't gay he has a wife they don't believe him, and this is where that sort of, um, what would you call it, that that bait-and-switch kind of uh, stereotyped flip happens where he's asked to now sort of come out as straight, yeah. uh, which they don't accept, and he says, I've loved women even... Since I was a young boy, I know. <laughs> I've always known I was straight. That's kind of where he, he goes with it, and it, it plays on that stereotype and flips it a bit, or, or totally. And they say that he, they sort of lied to him and betrayed their trust. There was quite a nice sort of line where we they said, so we trusted you with our most prized possession, our house. How could you do this? And then uh, he offers to do their retreat for half price and they uh, lap it up and they, uh, <laughs> they take his offer. Well, this is the thing. They didn't fire him because he was straight. They fired him because he misled them. Mm. That's what the issue was. And, you know, he says to them that I think people should judge others by what they do not who they do and that's where they go yeah you're right actually yeah i mean you lied to us but you're right <laughs> you know, just, uh. but yeah he offers to give a half price they give him the keys and say pretend you're a plumber and leave and uh that when that's when norm has to do the sort of uh walk of shame walk over to her <laughs> walk of shame to his friends after his lies been sort of exposed and this is again that sort of bait and switch where uh you think they uh, think he might actually be gay, 
because they're like, why didn't you tell us about this huge part of your life, Norm? And he goes, guys, guys, I'm, I'm straight. And they go, we don't care. <laughs> uh, we, we know you can get things on wholesale. You're an interior decorator. I need a new sofa. Then he starts getting his napkin out and dropping down some notes. And then brings probably one of the, the uh, great ending line, which is he says, I have to tell you folks, I'm not cheap. And then Ted Danson comes in, like leans into frame and says, even for your lover. <laughs> what a way to end. <laughs> uh, I think it was a, a really solid episode. And I think it, it gave George Wendt uh, something to actually dig into the material a bit, you know? Yeah, I'd say so. There was a, there was a motive depth there. Look, it's Cliff's brain and the rest of his body delivering some post. (laughs) (laughs) Got some trivia here. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. What three Ds do Frasier and Lilith use for nicknames in this episode? Oh, darling. Is darling one? No. Uh, I'm going to struggle. I don't know, James. Dandelion, Dove Bar, and Doctor. Do- is Doctor a nickname? I suppose they do go, can I talk to you, Doctor? Yeah, inside their own house. <laughs> mm. In this episode, James, Woody gets some famous brownies from a relative. Who was the relative? And what are the brownies called? Killer Fudge Brownies and his Uncle Frank. And no, they're his Aunt Edna's Killer Fudge Brownies. Because when she cooked them, Uncle Ford smelt the baking and ran into a combine Ooh. and died. Yeah. That means they smelled delightful, though. They must be good. Yeah. Everyone was ducking into them. Now I want some. Well, that's our house special. Killer fudge brownies. <laughs> delightful. When Fraser and Lilith uh, approach Norman in the bar, Fraser convinces Norman to pursue decorating Lilith doesn't want him to. This is when Frasier mentions the five-figure sum. Norm tells Lilith to back off because he's intrigued by this five-figure sum. But what does Norm call Lilith? Oh, I don't know, James. It was something uh, sort of slightly niche. It's, I'd say it's B-movie in the 80s. Mm. You'll have to, you have to tell me, James. It was, it was a great reference, great comparison. He calls her Elvira because of, you know, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> a, a classic horror character, really horror figure. I mean, obviously not not the same, but Morticia Adams is a similarish role, maybe not as uh, deeply cut dress. The thing I've seen is that Elvira and Dolly Parton have a yin yang thing. <laughs> That's mm. what I've seen, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's accurate. Well, Elvira's parodied a lot in The Simpsons, isn't she? Yes, she is. At this meeting between Norm and the Coopermans, what was served that Norm tucked into? Veggie pate. There was a veggie pate. I, I should have actually, there, there was another thing served, but Norm didn't unfortunately get to eat that. It's going to be something French. Oh no. I wouldn't put it with veggie pate personally. It was uh, Lilith's hand-rolled sushi, washed down by Norm's cold can of beer. Lilith is not a good cook. We've established this when she tried to make... Well, sushi, as long as it's prepared well when you get it from the from the vendor, then there's not much you can go wrong in terms of taste. It's preparation. And it looked like it was visually prepared well. You a sushi man? 
I'm, I, I like sushi, but I'm not sure I'd have it with veggie pate. Or a beer, to be honest. I've had sushi and beer. I can't picture the two going, really. No, sushi, you need a nice white wine to go with. Or a sake. Ooh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last call at the bar, James. And what an episode it's been. I, I suppose, what should we say? I think we might have some of these recipes. There's been a lot of recipes in this episode. I think some of them might feature on our newsletter on Patreon. Oh yeah, we will definitely have some recipes up there. I'll tell you what, there are quite a few recipes you can make a nice spread for any visiting interior decorators. You can be stylish too. <laughs> you can be stylish too. I like it, James. I suppose we, there's been quite a few options for the house special as well. But which way do you think we'll go? With the uh, veggie pate, sushi and can of beer? Or the killer fudge brownies. Oh, yes, killer fudge brownies. Something sweet. Okay, that, that that's what we'll go for then. Something sweet and dense, much like Woody. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good, too. That's <laughs> if Woody was a food. So if you want that newsletter, sign up to our patron. But until then, thank you for listening to this episode. As we hold our brownies into the air, I guess we'll toast to Norm for uh, showing some of his other talents to Cliff's brain for just being a key cornerstone of this episode. Uh, and who else? Not Sam. Not Sam. To Al. To Al for his one line. <laughs> this has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Cheers.